This is HEC Media. Welcome to Talking with Authors, a program dedicated to speaking with some of the best-selling authors around, covering many different genres. I'm your podcast host, Rod Milam, for HEC Media. With the help of independent bookstore Left Bank Books and the St. Louis County Library, we're able to sit down with amazing writers and thought leaders to discuss their work, their inspiration, and what makes them special. By the way, you can also watch video versions of most of these interviews by going to hecmedia.org. Today, our author is New York Times bestselling writer Marty McCary, MD. We spoke with him as he was touring the United States talking about his book, The Price We Pay, What Broke the American Healthcare System and How to Fix It from Bloomsbury Publishing. This one-on-one was done in October of 2019. More than a writer, Dr. McCary is an oncology and gastrointestinal surgeon, plus a teacher of public health policy at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health in Baltimore, Maryland. Through all of his contact with his patients, he knows that the trust that people have with doctors is one of the most critical components in promoting good public health. But given the way that people are forced to interact with the financial part of the healthcare system, Dr. McCary knows that trust can become eroded because of that interaction. He strongly feels that there needs to be public accountability for hospitals that are involved in what he calls price gouging. Here's an example. Carlsbad, New Mexico, a single mom who had some kids two of whom had special needs, and one of them got a little sick, it was more of a scare, went to the hospital, the kid got an IV, probably only needed an hour of time of treatment in the hospital. But the IV got infected and the kid had to go to the ICU for what we call a hospital-acquired infection. The hospital then sent the mom a massive bill, and that bill was devastating. The hospital then sued her to garnish her wages, it was a hospital-acquired infection. So we're actually shaking people down with predatory billing practices, sometimes for things that were not even necessary. But after being armed with examples like that, the doctor has optimism for what the future of healthcare could be in the U.S. And he has a prescription for some common-sense solutions for some of the biggest woes. We'll see what the prognosis is during this interview with the New York Times bestselling writer, Marty McCary, MD, on this episode of Talking with Authors from HEC Media and HEC Books. Here's our host and interviewer this time, Paul Shankman. Dr. McCary, welcome to St. Louis. Thanks for being with us today. Good to see you, Paul. Thank you very much. So, The Price We Pay is the name of the book. I'm wondering about the we part of that. Do we all pay a price for what's happening with the cost of medicine? I mean, I've always had very good insurance and have been happy with it and have never really gotten stuck with a giant bill. And so it would be easy for someone in that position to say, we, we seem to be okay, but I know it's not that way. How much of the population is really the we part of the price we pay? Well, everyday Americans are getting hammered right now. People are getting crushed with their medical expenses. Businesses can't compete with businesses overseas because of healthcare costs. Starbucks spends more money on healthcare than they do on coffee. General Motors spends more money on healthcare than they do on steel. It's completely out of control. And if you look at what we spend on healthcare without even using the system, you'd be amazed at the many hidden costs. I mean, take for example, all federal spending. 48% of all federal spending goes to healthcare in its many hidden forms. It's not just Medicare and Medicaid, it's up to half of Social Security checks now used for Medicaid co-pays and deductibles and co-insurance. 
the Defense Department has its own health care system, which is 8% of their budget. The VA health system is about 4% of all federal spending. And we also cover employee benefits for all federal workers and their, and their family members. That's 9.1 million people. We are spending 48% of all federal spending on health care. So think about that next time you file your taxes. And then health insurance costs $18,000 per household. And then you get a bill after spending all this money and you're told, hey, this is not covered. People have a right to be upset. This is not the problem of the everyday hardworking American that has health insurance. This is our problem in healthcare. This is a cost problem we need to control. Is one of the biggest surprises when you have some sort of procedure and then you find out, you know, your doctor was in network, but the anesthesiologist wasn't, and then you get this giant bill or this in-network, out-of-network thing, I think is what catches a lot of people. It's a crazy kind of bait and switch almost. People are going in good faith with insurance to an in-network hospital and getting clobbered with multiple out-of-network bills. And there's just no fairness in the pricing sometimes. Look, most doctors try to do the right thing always, and most hospitals are led by good people. But a fraction are responding, responding to the opportunities to price gouge. If airlines had no prices on travel sites, and the air, airlines simply build you after the flight, that, that would enable price gouging. And that's what we have in healthcare. It's what we have in drug pricing. This is our problem, and we need to get a handle on it. And the simplest way is to get fair and honest prices to be transparent. Do doctors even know what these procedures cost? I've been astounded a few times when I've been recommended something that I suppose is sort of elective. And I say, well, what does that cost? Oh, I don't know. I, I, lo- I love being a doctor. I have no idea what most of my services have cost until I've had to really investigate and try to get out why is the price inflated and then discounted. You know, we've got good people working in a bad system in American hospitals, but this crazy game that we've inherited where we inflate prices to offer selective secret discounts to different insurance companies and employers and individuals, it's kind of crazy. And if you think about it, why aren't we offering one fair and honest price? It doesn't have to be the lowest price. If we've got great quality, charge more. But this idea that you go to a restaurant and ask to see a menu and they say, who's your employer? Oh, well, then this is your price list and you're gagged from showing those prices to anybody else. And you could be eating at a quarter of the price or 10 times the price of the table next to you. That's the insanity of these money games. And this is what doctors, quite honestly, are getting sick of. Doctors are rising up now, offering transparent pricing. They are being the advocates for their patients that are getting price gouged in the marketplace. And for people who get these egregious bills, I tell them, don't be afraid to talk to your doctor about these bills. Engage your doctor. Many times when patients have been sued and had their wages garnished, and my team takes on their case in court pro bono, we go, we start with the doctor, and the doctors are not only shocked that the patient's been sued over a bill, but they are livid, and they become a champion internally to make billing practices more fair and honest at their center. Billing quality is medical quality. Financial toxicity is a medical complication. And taking care of an entire person means taking care of every aspect of their care. So you say talk to your doctor, even if it's something that a hospital has done, I would think the first thing you'd do is 
is talk to the hospital. Well, many times we show doctors these bills, a bill for $650,000 for a spine operation, and they are outraged. They know the market-based price is roughly thirty dollars to $50,000 for that particular operation in that particular patient's story that was told on CBS recently. And they are fighting internally to make sure that these practices are more honest, the billing is honest, and pricing is honest. Look, no one is more frustrated about these crazy money games than physicians. If you look at all the stakeholders in healthcare, all the stakeholders are getting rich, except doctor and nurse salaries have been stagnant for 30 years. This mass growth of a back industry that we call the repricing industry not only costs a lot of money to sort of negotiate and reprice all these services, but there's a lot of staff that we have to hire for it, and quite honestly, it's exhausting. Talk to everyday Americans who are fighting their medical bills, calling a call center, talking to a receptionist that does not have the power to even fix a mistake on a bill. It's exhausting. And so we've got to look at the whole system. And I think the cool thing right now is good stuff is happening. We're seeing these online transparency platforms emerge, uh, websites like uh, MD Save, GoodRx, you can look up on fairhealth.org, the going market price in your area for a service. People are Googling their medical codes on their bills. Uh, they're finding mistakes. They're talking to hospital leaders. Look, we need public accountability for American hospitals. Most hospitals do the right thing, but some are price gouging, and that price gouging needs public accountability. Go through your doctor, start with the billing office, talk to the executives, go to the CFO, talk to the hospital board members. After all, their job is to provide oversight of a hospital leadership. I'm on a hospital board myself, and the idea of a board is to be a, a liaison with the community for public accountability. Uh, right now, these many money games of price gouging and predatory billing are threatening the great public trust in American hospitals. And that's very concerning. As a doctor, I'm very concerned about that. You know, I've got partners that say, why are you working on this issue of billing and pricing in healthcare? I do a lot of pancreatic cancer surgery and, and GI surgery. And my partners sometimes wonder, why are you working on, spending all this time on this defending patients in court who are overcharged? And I tell them, we can have the cure for cancer but if half the public doesn't trust us, then those cures are no good. And right now, we have 64% of Americans saying that they've avoided care or delayed care because of fear of the bill. We have 24% of Americans saying that they altogether don't get care because of fear of the bills. Half of women with stage four breast cancer report being harassed by medical debt collectors. That's a disgrace. That's a disgrace to our profession and it's a disgrace to our country. Well, and talk about being harassed or even sued. If there's one place in America apparently you don't want to get sick, it's Carlsbad, New Mexico. Yeah. Talk about that. It's in the book. It's uh, f fascinating and distressing all at once. Well, I had some patients reach out to me about their stories of being overcharged. And one of them was from Carlsbad, New Mexico, a single mom uh, who had some kids uh, two of whom had special needs, and one of them got a little s sick. It was more of a scare. Went to the hospital, the kid got an IV, probably only needed an hour of time of treatment in the hospital. But the IV got infected and the, the kid had to go to the ICU for what we call a hospital-acquired infection. 
The hospital then sent the um, mom a massive bill. She does not live like me. I visited with her in her home. She, look, God's been good to me. Half of America has less than $400 of cash in savings. I was reminded of that when I went into her home. And that bill was devastating. It was devastating to her life. She's done nothing wrong. She has a full-time job. She has health insurance. And the hospital then sued her to garnish her wages. Even though the hospital was responsible for the infection. Yeah, it was a, it was a hospital-acquired infection. 20% of all medical care is unnecessary in a national survey of physicians. So we're actually shaking people down with predatory billing practices, sometimes for things that were not even necessary. And this hospital has sued, the word is in town, they've sued everybody, a town of about 28,000 people by census data. They've sued the judge when the judge got medical care. They sued the judge not realizing who she was. And so we've been going to these towns trying to create public accountability, asking the hospitals to please have mercy on these patients. Remember why we went into medicine. Remember when hospitals were built, most of them were built by churches and they had a mission to serve their communities. Let's remember the great heritage of medicine when Salk invented the polio vaccine, he refused to get a patent, so he said, as many kids in the world can get it as possible, he, he said, this will be a gift to humanity, it is the property of mankind. That is our great medical heritage. And that great public trust is now being threatened by these many games. Uh, Mary Washington Hospital in Virginia, we spent a lot of time there defending patients, asking the hospital to stop suing patients. And um, I'm proud to report that after the book was locked and sent to the printer, uh, shortly thereafter, they agreed to stop suing patients. They had sued 25,000 people in a town that has 28,000 people by census data. We need to appeal to the best in people, recognize we don't have diabolical folks. We've simply inherited a really bad system and we need to question and push that system now. And there are lots of alternatives being pushed and we can talk to about Medicare for all. I mean, just as a quick anecdote, I have a brother-in-law that lives in Sweden, just had twins. 11 day stay in the hospital, of course, because they were twins, you know, underweight and so forth and so on. He paid more for parking at the hospital than he <laughs> paid for the hospital bill. Now, this is in Sweden, I know. Uh, but when you hear something like that and then you look at the mess we're in, is there some kind of middle ground there? Yeah, I mean, look, if we, well, there's a lot of ideas on how we can throw more money into healthcare. And look, we all want everybody to get great healthcare in the United States. I'm sure there's some horrible person out there that wants people to suffer, but look, we all want healthcare for everybody. The question is, how do we do it? We've got this broken system and throwing good money after bad into it does not help anybody. We're at 48% of federal expenditures now on healthcare, being spent on healthcare in its many hidden forms. What do we propose we're taking that to, 90%? Are we gonna cancel all of our other national priorities to feed this monster? Or can we cut the waste? Can we give transparency a chance? Can we encourage these many platforms that are now creating competition? Can we address price gouging by shining light on the actors? Can we create public accountability? And just as the movie The Big Short created literacy for the public on the banking industry, my goal with this book was to create healthcare literacy. Even as physicians, 
We're taught medical literacy, but we're never taught healthcare literacy. And I think if we can explain these money games, there's actually broad consensus in the United States on how we can fix these problems. We just have to understand them. You mentioned the big short, and in the book you talk in terms about what's happening in medicine in this country, uh, comparing it to the financial crisis of 2007-2008. Well, what is the, the analogy there? Well, we're basically buying products that we can't afford that are sometimes um, too expensive. For, for example, the way that businesses in the United States purchase health care is through a middle industry called the broker industry. Brokers go to businesses and sell health plans, that is health insurance, and they sell pharmacy plans. Those brokers take kickbacks sometimes, most of the time, from the pharmacy plans, from the middlemen, from the insurance companies, and they're not acting as your fiduciary. They're putting together, putting together plans that really promote an individual company. It gives them more market dominance, allows them to raise rates, and businesses are getting ripped off all across America on their health insurance and on their pharmacy plans. A new generation of brokers is saying, look, we don't want to take a 5% commission on every dollar you spend on health insurance premiums, which is a real number, by the way. Imagine that. 5% of all the money your business spends on health insurance premiums goes to the broker who brought that insurance company to you. And they don't want to take kickbacks on the back end, and instead they want to be your honest fiduciary. It's called Health Rosetta. There's a whole host of benefit consultants now emerging, saying no to the status quo, getting employers a better deal on their health insurance. This is a simple example of where businesses can do better, uh, work in a competitive market, and buy good products. The broker industry that sells health insurance and pharmacy plans is as corrupted as the subprime mortgage broker industry was before 2007. We just need to understand what's happening, and that's why I wrote this book. Coming up in a moment, we'll get into how Marty McCary sees firsthand how resistant to change the healthcare system is because of the way the government functions. Special interests are very powerful. And I'll meet members of Congress who will tell me off the record, they'll say, Marty, you know, you're spot on with this stuff, but I can't touch it. The leadership of the Congress is telling me we're not going to touch this. The special interests will kill me in the next election. All these special interests, private equity funneling dark money into Congress, are killing all surprise bill legislative efforts right now. Every single one of them. That's a disgrace. People need to hear from everyday Americans uh, who want better. That call to action, some other possible solutions, and a reading from the doctor's book, The Price We Pay when Talking with Authors continues from HEC Media. Educate Today offers an ever-growing library of the highest quality video resources, curriculum materials, and interactive programs, all of which are designed to challenge thinking, inspire creativity, and empower learning of students, educators, parents, and lifelong learners. And you can find out more about all these programs by going online to educate.today. That's educate.today. You go to bat for a lot of people all over the country, which, I mean, you have a practice of your own. It's remarkable that you can even find the time to do that, much less the incentive to do that. But for, for people who, who don't have someone to represent them in that way, what can they do? Can they negotiate prices with a hospital after something's been done and you get that shocking bill? Yeah, one uh, little known fact, Paul, is that most medical bills are negotiable. Most hospitals, if you get to the right person, 
are actually reasonable and will try to work with you. But this sort of barrier that's been created, you know, this mass barricade to prevent you from really getting to the right people is a real problem. And so we tell people, keep fighting. We've listed 20 ways you can negotiate your medical bills on our website, restoringmedicine.org, which is our student movement to call out um, the medical system and remi remind people of our great heritage in medicine, to and we want to restore it back to its mission. People should look for mistakes. They should go beyond the call service representative. They should talk to someone who has the power to at least correct a mistake. We're talking to hospitals now, asking them to take a code of conduct for honest and fair billing practices where they can at least give people the courtesy of having somebody within 15 minutes talk to them about their bill. Look, if you bought a, a car for $20,000 and you couldn't even talk to the person who sold it to you 10 minutes later and you got put through multiple voice menu and get hung up on and told this is our policy, we can't do it, you would say, look, this is not an honest business. And right now, people are fed up. People are angry. And they're starting to get angry at us physicians. And that's where this is getting personal. Look, th these money games are now threatening the great public trust in the medical profession. People will trust you as a physician to put a knife to their skin within a second of meeting you. Or they'll tell you secrets they've never told their spouse immediately. Why? because of the great public trust in the medical profession. That public trust now is being threatened by these predatory billing practices. And if all the channels don't work, go to the media, go to the hospital board members, go to the executives, create public accountability uh, around these billing practices. But what incentive really do hospitals have to work with a patient negotiating just the fear that if they don't, the patient will go bankrupt and they'll get even less or what? They have no financial incentive, but there is a moral case. And most hospitals try to live up to that moral case, but that's why we need public accountability. Look, these are not, you know, these are not uh, brick and mortar businesses that get set up on a for-profit basis. That's not, that's never been the goal of a, of a U.S. hospital. Hospitals were built mostly by churches and they were built to be a safe haven for the sick and injured. And so we've got a responsibility to the community and the community has a responsibility for public accountability. Look, I think we've got good people working in, in hospitals. We just need to appeal to the best in folks. Uh, right here in Missouri, we've got St. Luke St. Luke's Hospital that has an incredible policy for billing. They will work with people. They offer um, massive um, discounts for anybody who can't pay. They they really have these very strong firewalls set up, so nobody will ever be shaken down for a bill unless they're wealthy and agreed to a price and and are you know a deadbeat on their bill. We doctors need to be paid for our services. But the policy you can see is extremely generous. It's kind, it's merciful, it's compassionate. That's what we need more broadly. Well, and does that apply to pharmaceuticals as well? I'm, I'm of the age where I'm watching the network news in the evening and it's obviously targeted to people my age by the advertising. And a lot of the drug commercials say, you know, if you can't afford your drug, company X may work with you may work with you. Um, is that something that, that happens a lot? I don't see it a lot. I mean, sometimes you wonder about these generous financial aid policies um, being overstated. And the reality is people are getting hammered on their drug prices and why don't we have competition? Why can't businesses choose a pharmacy plan 
that makes sense for their business. Instead, they don't even understand these products. And part of it is this mirage of the rebate. The, you know, employers will say, I don't understand what I'm spending on these drugs. I don't know if I'm getting ripped off. But my broker and in the, in the, in the PBM are showing me that I get a 20% rebate at the end of the year. Sounds good. This is not a rebate on cornflakes. Okay, this is a kickback from pharma to the middleman, a small portion of which is sometimes passed on to you to, for the mirage of looking like a deal. And there's price gouging going, going on all over the place. There's a lot of stuff we can do if the government does nothing. Look, I have the right to be a little skeptical about the government. I live in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, special interests are very powerful. Okay, and I'll meet members of Congress who will tell me off the record, once I get a couple beers in them, they'll say, Marty, you know, you're spot on with this stuff, but I can't touch it. The leadership of the Congress is telling me we're not gonna touch this. The special interests will kill me in the next election. And that's where the, our democracy is supposed to kick in and say, hey, wait a minute, surprise billing, do something. Okay, we want something on surprise billing. All these special interests, private equity funneling dark money into Congress are killing all surprise bill legislative efforts right now. Every single one of them. All, every different style, form, and, and make, they're killing any version that could rein in the price gouging that goes on out of network. That's a disgrace. People need to hear from everyday Americans uh, who want better. Well, and you talk about erosion of, of trust in medicine. The, the book opens uh, essentially with the whole uh, uh, shenanigans that go on with these health fairs, which is just like a fishing expedition for finding patients. How can people feel confident in the medical profession when that sort of thing goes on or when you have so many physicians now that own testing centers and suddenly you need that test, don't yeah. you, if you go to that physician? Yeah. Well, the good news is there's a recognition in healthcare that we've been doing too much. If you look at all of the research in the last five to 10 years, it is consistently showing that we've been doing too much, that we need to be more precise, that we need to move towards precision medicine. In my own field of surgery, we now know that appendicitis does not need surgery 75% of the time for non-ruptured appendicitis. Antibiotics can work and literally cure appendicitis 75% of the time. Do you think all of a sudden surgeons are offering antibiotics to every patient in lieu of surgery? People need to be educated and informed. They need to know the latest. And we don't want to create hysteria out there. But people need to know that we've been doing too much, and we know it. In our national survey from Johns Hopkins of 2,100 U.S. physicians, asking them the question, what percent of medical care is unnecessary, excluding your own practice, in your opinion? They said 21%, 25% of diagnostic testing, 22% of medications, 11% uh, of medical procedures. If we want to fix healthcare, can we start by cutting the waste? And you're seeing this mass movement of doctors now to say, hey, we're sick of the fee-for-service system. We're sick of the billing throughput model of office-based medicine and primary care. By the way, the patients are sick of it too. We wanna get rid of that and start over and start from scratch. So in the book, I had the privilege of, of profiling a lot of these revolutionary clinics. There are now hundreds of these sprouting up around the country, some of which are essentially no cost for Medicare Advantage beneficiaries. And they're saying, hey, can we treat the whole person and forgetting, forget about that billing model? Can we just take care of patients as doctors 
And in the end, trust me, their costs will be less. And they're coming out 15% below the fee-for-service averages. And they're teaching cooking classes to people with diabetes. And they're managing back pain with ice and, and physical therapy instead of surgery and opioids. And they're talking about food as medicine. And they're getting at, at the root underlying causes of illness that brings people to care. And it's an exciting movement. And one of these clinics creates communities for people recognizing that one of the great public health epidemics that we need to talk about that no one's talking about is loneliness, especially in seniors. And by creating communities, they're actually improving people's physiologic reserves. And, and I think it's def definitely contributing to the better health outcomes that we see in those clinics. Going back to the pricing question for a moment, uh, why do prices vary so wildly, and is there any correlation between the price and the quality of the care? A researcher at the University of Iowa called a hundred hospitals that do the standard heart operation called a cabbage, an open heart procedure, and asked, what's the price of a cabbage? I'm thinking about coming there, how much will it cost me? Well, the hospitals gave them the runaround, and in the end, 50 out of the hundred gave them a price. Of the, of the 50 that gave them a price, the price ranged from 44000 to half a million dollars with everything spread in between. He then took those prices and compared them to the outcomes by hospital using the most mature outcomes database we have in healthcare called the STS database. And there was no correlation whatsoever between price and quality. Our team took those results and compared it to charity care and found no correlation whatsoever. The pricing is random, it's haphazard, it's wild, it's dangerous. And right now, people are just falling into the trap. Look, nobody diabolically thought, oh, we're gonna make a lot of money by just gouging people. This is a remnant of a system we inherited where prices are inflated for secret discounts. And the poor casualties are the people who end up paying out of network or on their own, which is a, a fast-growing group of Americans, which is why we're seeing all of a sudden attention on this issue. Well, and if even doctors don't understand it, and Lord knows they have enough to think about just treating their patients, but even if doctors can't follow along with what's happening, how's a patient ever supposed to do that? I would think it would get so frustrating, you would just give up. Maybe that's what they count on <laughs> uh, at hospitals when you're calling to try to talk about a bill or something. Well, you know, if you I, can get past the voicemail. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a nightmare. And I can't show up and mow your lawn, Paul, and then send you a bill for $5,000 without some agreement. And in healthcare, we need some honest agreements. We need civility. And that's how any business operates. And now that people are paying on their own and there's more out of pocket, there's a role for civility and good business practices that are standard in any other industry to come to healthcare. And so when you go to the emergency room, don't financially sign your home away and your life away on some document. Hospitals are required to take care of you for any emergency, regardless of you giving your credit card. Um, now look, if you're shot in the chest or you have an emergency, we, don't, we should not be giving you a price as doctors. We need to take care of you. But 60% of medical care is shoppable. And for those services, people deserve a price. And what we're seeing and what I was privileged to profile in the book are these centers that are now saying, you deserve a price and we're gonna give you a price before the care. Here's a price menu. Here's a list of operations. 
and we will actually give you an honest and fair price estimate that we will not exceed unless there's something very different that actually happens. And so you can imagine if airlines build us after the flight and are arguing they don't know if there's going to be a delay or a cancellation or you might consume a beverage on the flight. How are they going to give you a price before the flight? But they factored all that in and now we have honest pricing in the aviation industry. That's the how and why of some of the biggest issues that are happening in the healthcare industry in the United States. Coming up in just a moment, our author Marty McCary will give some suggestions on how to shop for healthcare and some insight into what he thinks the future of healthcare can and will be here on Talking with Authors from HEC Books. You wake up, you get dressed, you prepare for a day of challenging and inspiring young minds. But maybe all you get is frustration and anxiety. You are a teacher. In the Classroom Matters podcast, we discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly of education. We talk to people such as Kim Bearden, co-founder of the Ron Clark Academy, Ken Williams, creator of Unfold the Soul, Teacher of the Year Beth Davey, and so many more insightful educators. Because your voice matters, your experience matters, your classroom matters. Classroom Matters with Christy Houle, a new podcast from Educate.today. Subscribe and download now. Can you as a patient or should you as a, as a potential patient uh, look around ahead of time, not about price shopping a particular procedure, but just if you live in a metropolitan area that has several major hospitals and your insurance is in network at all of them, and then you find yourself having a heart attack one day, can you know in advance which one of those hospitals might be the best one to go to, either for the outcome, which of course is the most important thing, or the financial outcome? Yes, people should shop by outcome number one and price number two. And the outcome varies by center, but it's very hard to get at that information. Generally, you wanna go with um, the respected institutions, the places that specialize in things, that have a, a good experience with a particular condition. But you also wanna look around at the prices and once you've established the places that have the high quality, look around. I mean, first of all, just based on the fact that 20% of medical care is unnecessary according to doctors, you should be getting a second opinion anytime there's something major that you think you're gonna have done that's not an emergency. And then also look at the prices. Uh, I was at the radiology department at Carlsbad Medical Center where I went to the radiology desk and said, how much is a CAT scan here, knowing there were stories of price gouging in the community? She said, it's about $5,000, but if you go to the website mdsave.com, you'll see our hospital lists it for $500. You can go and buy it through that website. And it hit me that this honest, transparent online platform is creating a marketplace that's efficient and that's competitive and people can be, uh, make their own decisions. And I think what we're seeing is that this new movement is cutting the waste and addressing price gouging that is entirely enabled by the lack of showing prices. Well, if you asked in Carlsbad, you're lucky you didn't get sued just for asking. <laughs> yeah, if somebody got sued just for being in the waiting room without even going back to the emergency uh, department. And I, we couldn't believe it. I mean, stories were coming out from everywhere. You, you went on this 22-city listening tour, talking to a lot of the people in various parts of the equation here, some of whom you are 
critical of, not by name necessarily, but by profession. How are you received? Do, do these guys want to talk to you about it? Or do they feel they have to talk to you about it to, to try to get their side out? Uh, or are they like, oh boy, he's here. Let's <laughs> tell him I'm busy. Well, look, I don't know who's against transparency. It's an American idea. A lot of our work is fueled by our medical students and residents and, and pre-med students and gap year students who are millennials. And as a generational value, they believe in honesty. They believe in transparency and they believe in being a part of something larger than themselves. And they are an inspiration. They're the ones who've driven this restoringmedicine.org project. They're the ones creating public accountability. And I'll tell you, the, the doctors are glad to hear someone talking about the money games from all the feedback I've gotten. The hospitals often will tell me, we're trying, we're doing our best, we're working in a broken system. And every stakeholder in healthcare, when they can actually take off their hat they're telling me, hey, I can't say this publicly, but keep doing what you're doing. My business works on this crazy system and somebody needs to call it out. And I can't say this publicly, but keep talking about these issues. Well, if they can't even talk about it, how's anything ever going to get done? Well, I think we have a lot of people in healthcare that just show up and collect their paycheck every two weeks. And people are afraid to speak up. Most of the healthcare experts are beholden to some giant stakeholder. They either work for a hospital, they work for an insurance company, they work for a PBM, they go to conferences that are sponsored by all these special interests. And look, I float in those circles too, but we gotta speak our mind. I'm a cancer surgeon and I'm reminded every week that life is short, that you've gotta speak your mind. And I'm encouraged by these millennials who wanna be a part of some purpose larger than themselves. And I think right now it's not hard to have some sympathy for this 50% of America who has less than $400 of cash in savings that doesn't live like me and that is begging for some mercy. And so I think the, the calling here is very clear. We need to get back and restore medicine to its mission of taking care of people at a time when they're vulnerable and not taking advantage of them when they're vulnerable. Is this something that ultimately will require some sort of legislative approach or is this not fixable by some sort of government intervention? I don't know. My, um, my faith in the government has been so um, shattered by watching the special interest maneuver. I mean, take for example, most doctors want some reform on surprise billing. The vast majority of doctors, and I know, I know these guys around the country, I've got friends all over and all sorts of specialties, they want something done on the surprise billing issue. All of the doctors' associations are blocking every form of surprise bill legislation. Why? They're also representing the small fraction of their members who are profiting from the price gouging and surprise billing. They're thinking about the war that they go to every year or two at the insurance negotiation table, negotiating that discount. Well, why do we even have these discounts? Uh, the Cleveland Clinic just said they're not in support of the new uh, Department of Health and Human Services action to require disclosure of those secret prices between insurance companies and hospitals. They cited that it would be a lot of work to produce those discounts. They said they have up to 3,000 different arrangements for discounts for their prices. And I'm thinking, that is the problem. Why do you have 3,000 different prices for the same service, somebody needs to take a global view, 
unbeholden to the special interests and say, we can do better than this. Patients deserve better. That's not going to be Congress. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think, look, if Congress does nothing, I'm very optimistic healthcare is going to get uh, better because the private sector is moving. Look at the employee benefit space. Look what's happening at, at these large companies that are saying, hey, we're going to build our own primary care centers and create high-value networks and do patient-physician steering. And let's look at high-value centers and let's look at bundles of care on the open market. And let's make sure you get a second opinion free of charge to you because that may, opinion may show that you never needed that operation. And so we're seeing employers do a lot right now. And I think it's one of the most exciting uh, areas in healthcare, including the direct contracting that they're doing with doctors and hospitals. So you are optimistic this will get I'm optimistic. better fixed? In the end, I am optimistic because of the young blood that we've got coming up. Because of this new generational value of doing something larger than what serves ourselves. You know, the kids coming through Johns Hopkins Medical School, they don't want a big house. They don't want to own a car. They want to be a part of something greater than themselves. And we're seeing them actively involved in innovating and driving healthcare startups and in doing business differently. And I think it takes that big sort of jolt from a new generation to really see things respond. And businesses are the ones driving this. If the young folks are giving us the great ideas and the new models of care, uh, businesses are the ones funding it and rebuilding healthcare. And let's, let's be honest, doctors would love to see our system fixed. I mean, we're sick of the billing throughput model. We're sick of the money games. We're sick of the, the public trust being eroded by the predatory billing that goes on. And so I think you're seeing people come together like we've never seen it before. And that was the fun part about writing the book was the privilege of telling the stories of the many disruptors who have already fixed healthcare on in very small pockets in small locations around the country with stories that I think we could all benefit from. It is possible. I think it's possible. I think good stuff is happening. Well, you're supposed to feel better after you go and talk to a doctor. I guess I feel a little bit better at least <laughs> having spoken to you about this problem. Dr. McCary, thanks very much. Good luck with the book. Thanks, Paul. Great to be with you. Marty McCary on how he thinks change will come to the current healthcare system in the U.S. Now to close out our podcast, here's a small reading from Dr. McCary's book, The Price We Pay, in his own words. A call to action. Healthcare is perhaps today's most divisive, territorial, and political issue. But many of the needed solutions are not partisan, they're American. We're at a pivotal juncture. Spending on healthcare threatens every aspect of American society. Time for common sense reform has arrived. All of us can play a part in driving badly needed reforms both in the marketplace and in the policy world. As Margaret Mead said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. That's New York Times bestselling author Dr. Marty McCary reading from his book, The Price We Pay, from Bloomsbury Publishing, during our interview with him in October of 2019. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Talking with Authors. Remember, you can watch most of the episodes of this program by going online to hecmedia.org. Also, be sure to follow us on social media. Just search for Talking with Authors on all social media platforms. And if you haven't done so yet, please rate and review this program wherever you get your podcasts. The host and producer of the video version of this program was Paul Shankman. 
Photography was by Peter Foggy and Ken Calcaterra. Graphics were by Greg Kopp. Supervising producer was Julie Winkle. Production support by Jane Ballou and Christina Chastain. ATC Media Executive Director is Dennis Riggs. The Talking With Authors Podcast Executive Producer is Christina Chastain. Podcast Editor was Paul Langdon. And I'm Rod Milam, your podcast producer and host. Again, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. This is HEC Media.